It's time for Success Profiles Radio with your host, Brian K. Wright. Have you ever wondered if there's more to life than you're currently living? Then Success Profiles Radio is the program for you. Every week, we'll explore different aspects of success and how to apply them to your life. Guests will come from many different backgrounds, including expertise in leadership, business, relationships, careers, networking, health, overcoming adversity, and much more. Every show is a dose of inspiration. This is Success Profiles Radio. And now, here's your host, Brian K. Wright. Hello and welcome to Success Profiles Radio. I'm your host, Brian K. Wright, and it's an absolute pleasure to be with you here today. I'm honored that you chose to spend part of your day with me here, and this is going to be a fantastic show. I will be introducing my guest in a moment, and I promise we're going to have a lot of fun and learn a lot today. First, I do want to take a minute or two to share some things I've been learning and thinking about, and I usually do this every single week. Gratitude has been a big theme in my life this year. It's very easy to be happy and thankful when things are going well, but the true test of how grateful you are is when things are not going the way you planned. The natural tendency we have is to blame someone or something for our bad circumstances, whether it's our jobs, the economy, our significant other, the weather, any multitude of reasons at all. The truth is we are in our current situation for a reason. We may not always know what that reason is. We may discover it later, or it may never be revealed to us at all. Sometimes we are where we are because someone else needs us for that reason. The bottom line, however, is that through it all, our response is a choice. When we choose to be grateful for what we have, we soon have much more to be grateful for. Choose today to write down 10 things you're thankful for and review that list as often as possible. When we fill our thoughts with gratitude, the results won't be far from coming true. If you have not subscribed and downloaded Success Profiles Radio on Apple Podcast or iTunes, please do that. Even leave a five-star review. That would be very meaningful to me. We're coming up on our 12-year anniversary here at Success Profiles Radio, and we've got over 200 five-star reviews. We've had some this week, and I'm so happy and grateful for that. My very special guest this week is Natasha Helfer. Let me tell you about her. She's a renowned therapist and has mastered the art of establishing trust with her clients, allowing them to open up and embark on their healing journey. Through her expertise and compassionate approach, she has gained recognition of her, for her ability to create a safe space for individuals to address their emotional and psychological challenges. She's a trusted professional dedicated to healing and her holistic approach, emphasis on trust and connection and commitment to affordability, make her services accessible to many people. We have a lot to unwrap and unravel, even stuff that I didn't talk about here in the introduction. So here we are with my very, very special guest, Natasha Halfer. Natasha, how are you? Welcome to the show. Oh, thank you so much for having me. I'm I'm super glad to be here. I'm glad you're here too. So the first question I love to ask everyone is, did you envision early on that you would be where you are right now? No. Does <laughs> <laughs> <Is> anybody? <laughs> I get that a lot. I mean, sometimes people say I had an idea, but I just didn't know what form it would take. But no, I mean, no is a completely legitimate answer. Most of us don't really see that far into the future. And I would just love to hear how your path unfolded before you got here. Yeah, no, I wanted to be a photographer for National Geographic. How about that? When I was like 10 years old, that was my dream. Oh, wow. <laughs> but went to college and, you know, uh, decided to major in psychology, was really inspired by certain professors in that in that arena. Because even, even that, I didn't go to college thinking I'd be a psychology major, but I, I did end up that way. Mm -hmm. And so, when I got into family therapy, you know, I, I had no idea that my intersection would be religion and sexuality the way it is today. So I'm super glad to be where I'm at. But no, I did not have that direction. I'll tell you what, I 
took a psychology class in college because it was required. My major was communication studies. And of course, psychology is one of those liberal arts classes that you had to take. I took it during the summer. And I swear there was this middle-aged couple in the class who are using the class for their personal therapy session. It was hilarious and annoying at the same time. <laughs> That's actually pretty smart. Like get your therapy for free, I guess, by getting educated. <laughs> The 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 snarky side of me today, if that happened, I would say, can we're all paying to be here? Can you just set up a time to pay the man and just talk about your stuff privately? Because we don't really want to hear it. But I was nice. I played nice in the sandbox. <laughs> but yeah, it was interesting to to notice that people major in psychology for a multitude of reasons. I would imagine because they want to fix themselves or they want to understand themselves better. Does that sound accurate? Sure. Yeah. I think for me, I, I really have always loved working with people and it just became very natural. I'm I'm just a very social person. I always had a lot of friends. Yeah. It's to have, you know, people say, oh, yeah, I, I was that person that all my friends came to with all their problems. Right. And I was kind of like that, too. So why not get paid for it? <laughs> and, awesome. And Learn how to do yeah. it well. <laughs> right. So doing what you do, you're also an entrepreneur because you run your own practice, right? Yes, correct. I run a group practice and we have about 10 providers that work under my supervision. Wow. So what early experiences taught you the most about entrepreneurship? Sorry, repeat the question. What early What early experiences in your life taught you the most about entrepreneurship? Yeah, that's interesting too because I don't know that I would have thought that that's where I would have ended up, but um I think Believe it or not, a lot of my background and maybe what we're going to talk a little bit about um, did not prepare me for entrepreneurship. I was mm -hmm. I grew up as a fairly conservative religious person in the Mormon community. Mm -hmm. And the role that's really given to women in that community is to be primarily a stay-at-home mom, which I was for many mm -hmm. years. Um, but I also had these, you know, aspirations and these career interests. And so I kind of I kind of um, treated my career almost like a hobby, like this mm -hmm. thing I, I would get to do on the side when I had extra time, you know, away from my kids, which was usually from like 10 p.m. to 1 a.m. in the morning. <laughs> oh. Um, so so I, I kept my foot in the door. I kept my, you know, my toe in the pool, per se. And over time, really, it was the circumstances of having to be creative, having to work on my own schedule, having to work around this other kind of quote unquote job that I had that needed a lot of that entrepreneurship and th finding things that would work and finding things, you know, finding people I could connect with and network with and work with to. Right. Yeah, that's, that's wonderful. So what can we learn from failure when things don't go our way? What are your takeaways when things don't go your way? And I know you've probably had a lot of things that haven't gone your way, just like we all have. Yeah. I mean, I, it's it's interesting both from a business perspective and from a therapy perspective how mm -hmm. failure is such it's probably our primary teacher and yet we live in a culture that is so not friendly towards failure you know kind of capitalism and kind of success and getting straight A's and being the good student right and being this and being mm -hmm. that we have a lot of those values that lead us to have a lot of shame around failure. And yeah. yet, when you talk to most entrepreneurs who are successful, they'll say, well, that's that's what taught me how to actually get to where I am today, right? And so 
Um, I think it, it really, it, it does require some resilience. It requires you to have more positive frameworks and to have tools to get away from shame. Yeah, because in school, we're taught that failure is bad and we get penalized for it. But I bet if you went to an entrepreneur school, they would just say, well, there's your learning opportunity. That's one way that you shouldn't do it. So let's figure out what we should do differently to have a different outcome. So yeah, the, the focus is very, very different for sure. So here's an interesting question. What do you think makes women really good at entrepreneurship? Well, that's that's interesting. I mean, I don't know the stats if they're better or not, but maybe mm -hmm. they are. Um, I, I do think that whenever, whenever you're part of a minority um, population, there are going to be micro stresses that add to the barriers and to the issues. And, and I think for a lot of people who are in those populations, they actually don't, they're not able to overcome those barriers. And mm -hmm. why these minorities in a lot of ways stay, um, stay in spaces that are less than ideal. And that's mm -hmm. because the system is kind of stacked up against them. For those that are able to get beyond that, um, it's almost like they have to have extra superpowers, right? Mm -hmm. And superpowers to really get beyond the, the 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 hurdles that are put in front of them. And and for women in the workforce, that's definitely been an upward journey for decades now, right? And so yeah. you have to like learn how to beat the system in a lot of ways. And so right. um, I think that those are skills that do help with entrepreneurship for those that do excel. Yeah area. Mm -hmm. Great. We've got maybe three minutes or so to our first break. So I want to ask you, what do you consider to be your rock bottom moment? Where was that line in the sand where you said, I will no longer tolerate this? Yeah, that's boy, out of all the moments, which one would I choose? <laughs> right. I think, that, um, I think I had a pretty significant moment three years ago when I faced excommunication from my church community, I'm a sex therapist and many of the things that I was advocating for um, in regards to sexual health and sexual education, the church was not comfortable with me around. And so I, I faced this, this disciplinary court where I got excommunicated. It was at the same time that I was going through a divorce and it was fairly recently that I had lost my father um, you know, to, to his illness that he had had for many years. So it felt it had, it was this moment where it was all these, like, even though I had loved all three of those entities, they were all patriarchies in my life, right? They, they all left oh, wow. and, or, you know, or, or rejected me in some way. And in that moment of feeling like I had tried so hard to be accepted by my church, by my in my marriage, you know, by my father, who was loving, but in some ways, of course, you know, it was difficult there in that relationship too. I really had to come out on my own by myself, not not supported by a patriarch. And yeah, so that for sure. Moment for me. Yeah. Yeah. That I I'm I have not gone through something like that. I would imagine being told by the community that you've grown up with and have lived in. When they say, go away, that has to be a very jarring experience. Yeah, I think excommunication from a church is like, it's, it's definitely what I would consider spiritual violence. Um, and it's a rejection, yeah. everything that you know, and, and it's an attempt to discredit you, right? Mm -hmm. And 
and to get you to get people to distrust you and not be in relationship with you anymore. So it's extremely damaging. Oh, for sure. I can certainly understand and appreciate that for sure. We got about one minute to our break. What do you think is the highest value skill anyone can develop? I would say if I had to pick one, flexibility. (laughs) When we're flexible, we can adapt. When we're rigid, we break. Oh, yeah. That's that's a great answer because you have, especially in entrepreneurship, things will not always go in a straight line and you have to be committed to the outcome, but not to the path the outcome generates for you. I love that. We are with Natasha Helfer and we're going to be talking more about coaching and therapy and we'll talk about building trust and having effective relationships and going through life transitions and using pain to heal and so much more when we come back. This is six. That's Profiles Radio. Please stay with us. Don't go away. We will be right back Welcome after the break. Back to Success Profiles Radio. So many people live their lives wanting more than they currently have. And this show will clearly demonstrate the principles. If I can do it, you can do it. So let's get back to the show. This is Success Profiles Radio. And here again is your host, Brian K. Wright. It's the Fitness Minute with fitness expert, Annette Hammond. According to a Gallup poll, 56% of Americans want to lose weight. Most of us know that muscle burns more calories than fat. So when you're trying to lose weight, you want to lose body fat while preserving the muscle you have. Lifting weights while you're losing weight is not an option. It's a requirement. According to a Penn State study, when dieters don't pump iron, 22% of their weight loss comes from losing muscle. So if you lose 20 pounds without lifting weights, almost five pounds will be muscle. Upping your protein intake is important. And Columbia University researchers found that protein intake plays a significant role in preserving lean muscle mass during weight loss. Preserve your muscle as you drop the body fat. I'm Annette Hammond. Like us on Facebook at Fitness Minute with Annette Hammond. If you are in business, what is the number one thing that stops revenue growth? Not having enough leads. Data is the new gold rush. With phone sites, that is never an issue. You can generate as many leads as you want without paying a lead broker. With phone sites, you can build a website or sales funnel from your mobile device in five minutes or less without any technical skills or without downloading an app. It's easy and you have nothing to lose. Try it for free for 14 days at phonesites.com forward slash Brian. Once again, that's phonesites.com forward slash Brian. inspire others to discover their unique talents and follow their dreams in life. This is Success Profiles Radio. We're back. This is Success Profiles Radio. My very, very special guest this week is Natasha Helfer, and we're talking about therapy, coaching, trust, psychology, all those kinds of things. And if you have not picked up my latest book. It's called The Greatest Lessons I Learned from Being an Entrepreneur, Volume 3. It's the third and final installment in the series. It's on Amazon. You can pick it up, leave a review. That would be great. That'd mean a lot to me. 
So Natasha, let me ask you this. What do you think is the most expensive mistake you think you've ever made? Oh boy, expensive mistakes I would say would be like bad investments, right? Like investing in maybe like a marketing platform that didn't go well or, you know, into like training that didn't end up being exactly what I was hoping would it would offer me. Um, so those, yeah, those mistakes happen. They're not fun when they do. <laughs> no, not at all, especially when you had an expectation and that expectation did not get fulfilled. So Natasha, tell us about your business. We're at the meat and potatoes time now. We had the appetizer. Now we're ready to eat the entree. Tell us about your business. Yeah, so I run a mental health group practice. We do offer uh, therapy you know, ther therapy services for basic issues like depression, anxiety, PTSD, et cetera. But we've also developed a coaching part of our business for people um, that, are, that are not necessarily diagnosable, they're not facing diagnosable issues, but they're going through some significant life transitions that they're needing some help with. And we specifically specialize in religious and faith transitions. Um, and specifically for people who are coming from what we call high demand religions. It is um, pretty understood in the research that if you're leaving a high demand religion, it's going to be more costly to you than if you're leaving a more liberal or flexible religion, um, as far as like what the community requires of you to leave. Um, mm. Okay, I can certainly appreciate that. So here's an interesting question so what what is the difference between coaching and therapy i've heard several people discuss that but i'd love to hear your take on it oh that's a great it's a great question and it's one that's in much debate mm -hmm. and, um some of the bigger um differences are that therapists typically go through a lot of training and are under a lot of regulation so to become a therapist you at least have to have a master's degree and then after that master's degree, most of us go through at least two years of postgraduate um, supervision and practice to obtain our licenses. And those licenses are regulated by the state so that if somebody comes to see me and they have a complaint or think that I've treated them in some incorrect way, they can actually make a malpractice mm -hmm. state and I could lose my license, right, and my ability to practice. So... Those who are life coaches, it, it could be anybody can call themselves a life coach. You can have zero training. You know, you can be a motivational speaker. You can have gone through something personal. Um, there are some training programs out there that might include a few weekends or months of training, but usually nothing comparable to what a therapist would um, be trained to do. And life coaches, I think, are... You know, if they're staying in their lane, mm -hmm. really working on kind of strategies and accountability and like I'm saying, maybe helping people work through something strategically, whereas therapy is going to be more of like, let's look, you know, we're going to maybe potentially diagnose you, we're going to assess you, we're going to come up with a treatment plan. It's much more of a medical model. Yeah. I, I like that. I heard I heard a definition of the difference. And tell me if you agree with this or not. I have heard people say that therapy helps you look back and coaching helps you look forward. Is that accurate or do you resonate with that at all? Mm, yes and no. I mean, I, I definitely think life coaching looks forward or should. Yeah. I don't know that yeah. life 
coaching should be doing a lot of work on past trauma or past issues. No. Um, although sometimes when I'm doing coaching, of course, I need to know a little bit about people's grounds, sure. right? And where they come mm-hmm. from, what their what their stories are. But I would not say that therapy is only about looking backwards. Therapy is yeah. also can be very solution focused. It can be very much about goals and and you know finding your best path forward. Yeah, I love that. So as a therapist, you have to build trust with the person you're helping. So that's very foundational not only in therapy, but in relationships in general, what what are some of the best ways that you can build trust with somebody in order to best help them? Yeah, this is really interesting because um, trust is complicated. <laughs> yeah. You can be the best therapist. You can have the best ideas. You can have the best um, training but there might be something about your personality that doesn't resonate with somebody, right? Or there might be something mm-hmm. about your belief system that is different than another person's. And mm-hmm. we as human beings pick up on these things so quickly, you know, as far as like whether or not you feel comfortable with somebody. Just think about, you know, your your friend groups, right? Like why mm-hmm. are you friends with this person but not this other person that maybe you met on the same day? Mm-hmm. And trust is in some ways intuitive. And at the same time, there are skills that we can develop that can help us have more trust. So um, active listening, for example, is yeah. one. It's very important. Learning how to not insert yourself into somebody else's story to allow people to um, be able to share their experiences with you and giving them that time and that energy. Um, emotional regulation is another way that we can develop trust. If if you say something that's upsetting or offensive or I'm confused by and I immediately have, you know, a fairly large reaction to that, that's going to create a defensive or even threatening response, right? So learning how to emotionally regulate my own reactions is is important. Yeah. Oh, I love that. That is so important. Active listening is critical, too, because a lot of people listen for their opportunity to talk again mm-hmm. versus listening to really hear what someone's saying. And it, it can be a little irritating when you're talking to someone who you're, you don't think they're really listening. They're just looking to tell their version of your story too. And they think they're coming alongside you, but no, it, it's almost competitive. When conversations get competitive, that's a real turnoff, right? Right. And it's a balancing act because there does need to be some level of self-disclosure. Sure. And another area in therapy that's very controversial, right? Because I was trained at a time when therapists are not supposed to self-disclose anything. Mm. I'm if you don't, if you're not willing to self-disclose on some level um, in inappropriate ways, that can that can affect trust because it's like, well, you're not willing to share anything about yourself, so we can't overshare. And we can't undershare. <laughs> it's got to be kind of like this this delicate balance of being willing to be vulnerable and share some of your own ideas and stories and pains so that the other person doesn't feel like they're doing all of that work. For sure. So when people go through life transitions, such as the loss of a loved one, a career change, what do you see as some healthy and unhealthy ways to deal with them? I mean, do you, do you put thing, do you put uh, reactions to those events in a box or do you say everyone is different and they have to just deal with things on in their own way? Yeah, that's probably a yes. And I mean, everybody is different. Sure. One, 
same time, I think there are things that most of us can access as human skills or reactions that we can say, you know, most of us would fit in this kind of a box. So anytime you're going through a life transition, you're the, the, the first thing I think about is the grief response, right? So mm -hmm. and that's been very well studied and there's like all these steps and probably most people have heard about the, the five stages of grief or the seven stages of grief and they can be things like denial and bargaining and depression and anger mm -hmm. and acceptance, you know? And so I think that's one thing that people can do is educate themselves mm -hmm. what is what is normal and that. I think, again, we live in a culture that's so productivity-centered, so happiness-centered, that sometimes when we're dealing with difficult emotions, we think that there's something wrong with us, but we're not meant to be happy all the time. Um, and and so making space for yourself to be able to go through a difficult reaction can is, is, is a life skill, you know, and to... And this is why we're talking about mindfulness and non-judgmental awareness, right? Mm -hmm. Therapy circles so that you can say, okay, this is normal that I'm having a hard time getting up out of bed, or it's normal that I'm becoming weepy, you know, even though I don't really know why I'm crying, or it's normal yeah. getting more irritable than I was or impatient with my children because of this that's happening at work. Yeah. And of course, finding the strategies that can help us move through that and not get paralyzed. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I would imagine identity issues come up a lot in your work, too, because people are trying to figure out who they are or the people in their life are trying to put them in a box and that box doesn't resonate. And so there's maybe some rebellion. There's some self-discovery and some confusion. Right. Yes. Yeah. A lot of times a, a life transition is in a way a betrayal. Right. Yeah. Like that I would lose my job or I didn't expect that I would lose my faith or mm -hmm. I didn't expect that I'd be going through this divorce. This wasn't how life was supposed to go. Uh, it wasn't what I had planned for. It wasn't what I had prepared for. It wasn't what I had, you know, imagined. And so those absolutely hit at the core of our identities. Well, who am I now? If I, if I identified as married or religious or employed or you know certain identity in your career and now you no longer have that identity that can really cut to the core of yeah. these very difficult kind of you know like the where the rubber hits the road type of moment yeah. and um and yet it's also where we can do profound work you know you started your um your bit here with some some ideas about gratitude and mm -hmm. i think we need to be necessarily, you know, jumping up and down over these difficult moments. But boy, do these moments have clarity that they can offer us perspective, new possibilities, new rebirths in ways that we would have never imagined. Mm -hmm. And and many times you ask somebody three to five years down the road from some of these transitions, would you go back to the way things were? And not always, but many mm -hmm. times you would say, absolutely not. I'm in yeah. Better place. I know myself so much better now. Yeah, that's that's absolutely amazing. We're coming up against our next break. My very special guest this week is Natasha Helfer, and we are talking about therapy and coaching and grieving and and 
identity and a lot of things relating to her practice. And we're going to talk about so much more about this when we come back. And after the break, I want to ask, how can we use pain to heal? What do you say to someone who might be in denial? How do you talk to someone who's grieving? How do you handle anxiety? We'll talk about improving communication and so much more when we come back. Welcome back to Success Profiles Radio. So many people live their lives wanting more than they currently have. And this show will clearly demonstrate the principles, if I can do it, you can do it. So let's get back to the show. This is Success Profiles Radio. And here again is your host, Brian K. Wright. Have you ever thought about writing a book? Surveys show that 81% of people wish they could, but many never do. If you're one of those people, I can tell you why. You don't think you have time, you may not know how, or you might not believe you are a good enough writer. When you're working with an experienced coach, these reasons go away because I will help you every step of the way. If you want to know more about how to write a nonfiction book, whether it's business, self-help, or how-to, reach out to me at www.brianckwright.com for more information. Once again, that's brianckwright.com. If you are in business, what is the number one thing that stops revenue growth? Not having enough leads. Data is the new gold rush. With phone sites, that is never an issue. You can generate as many leads as you want without paying a lead broker. With phone sites, you can build a website or sales funnel from your mobile device in five minutes or less without any technical skills or without downloading an app. It's easy and you have nothing to lose. Try it for free for 14 days at phonesites.com forward slash Brian. Once again, that's phonesites.com forward slash Brian. inspire others to discover their unique talents and follow their dreams in life. This is Success Profiles Radio. We're back and this is Success Profiles Radio. My very special guest this week is Natasha Halford. We're talking about therapy. And what I want to do next is ask, how can we use pain to heal? Because we all go through grief, whether it's losing a loved one, whether it's losing a job, whether we feel a profound sense of loss over something. How how do we use our pain to get over it and become stronger? Yeah, that's a great question. And it kind of goes back to this, you know, shifting our expectations into a more maybe adult or emotionally mature space where we can say, yeah, life isn't about being happy, happy, happy all the time. Mm-hmm. Life is about pain. It's about joy. It's about the mundane. It's about... Mm-hmm. So, so many different emotions that you can feel even in one day. But I, I do think that when we see pain and difficulty and hardship in our lives as potential um, teachers and clues as to ways that we want to shift or move forward, then all of a sudden there's there's a lot more possibility. Um, for example, if you're feeling depression, that's kind of like a low feeling. It might slow you down and and instead of feeling horrible that you're feeling depressed, you might be like, well, what what is it about my life or my system or what I'm experiencing right now that has me slowing down? What do I need to learn from this slowing down moment? If you're feeling anger, that's you know that's more 
explosive and energetic and okay what what does that emotion have to offer me what where can that lead me in directions that maybe will help me make some significant shifts that that need to happen absolutely so what would you say to someone who's in denial i mean they they don't allow themselves to feel what they feel because they think they can just handle it without help and that's not usually true yeah there's yeah and there's not there's not a whole lot you can say to somebody who's in denial. I mean, there's mm-hmm. maybe soft, some soft sandwich approaches you can take, right? To see mm-hmm. if, if you're friends with somebody or they're your partner and you can say, hey, you know, I really, I really care about you. And I, sometimes when you talk about things in this way, it, it leaves me to wonder if it's just hard for you to face some of these things. And I'm just talking about this because I love you, you know, so it's mm-hmm. kind of an example of a sandwich approach. But at the end of the day, People can only do so much for others. You know, it's us personally that have to decide, um, is is this something that I'm going to tackle differently? And denial, believe it or not, and, and at, at times can be a protective factor. You know, mm-hmm. it, is, it is a way that sometimes people can uh, deal with trauma or deal with certain you know, uh, stressors that they can't really escape in the moment. There really isn't a quick solution for. And so denial can sometimes be something that will help us kick the can down the road until we're in a better position to be able to deal with things. Um, But it also can be harmful because people can stay in in a state of not wanting to really face the truth. Mm -hmm. um, And that can affect their relationships or their work environments or or all kinds of things. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, I, I absolutely agree with that. And sometimes when you know somebody's grieving, there's the awkwardness of how 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 do I help them? How wh- how do I know what to say? I'm sure there are things that you shouldn't say, but how do you counsel people who are wondering what to say to someone who's grieving? I love this question because we mess this up so bad. <laughs> uh huh. Yes, we do. Yes, we do. The number one thing people will do is just disappear because of all those things that you just said. I don't know what to say. I don't know how to show up. This grief that I'm witnessing makes me uncomfortable or makes mm-hmm. me grieve. So I'm just going to, you know, disappear from their lives. And yeah. so many and, and they say, interpret it as they don't care. And that's not true. Exactly. Um, so the other thing that we do often is we step in too much. We, we get into fix it mode. You oh, know, yeah. we'll give false promises. Oh, everything will be OK. Or, you know, you'll get over that just fine. Or or quips like. Well, you didn't need him anyway, you know, after divorce or something. Mm, yeah. you're, you're trying to make you're trying to make the other person feel better by kind of getting into cheerleader mode. And that's not really always what that person needs. So yeah. the the real skills about how to walk with somebody who is grieving and to be an ally of grief is one is to learn how to listen and to just mm-hmm. be there. Uh, you can reflect and mirror. You can say what I hear you saying is, you know, and just say that, you know, I'm, I'm hearing you saying that you're really struggling since your mom died and that you're feeling like really awful and lonely and like you don't yeah. know how to move forward, right? Is that what I'm hearing you say? So just reflecting um, and to show up. And, and sometimes you show up by just leaving a meal or calling or offering a text or um, inviting somebody to an event. A lot of times people don't get invited to events because people assume yeah. that because of their grief, they don't want to socialize or something like that. Um, so just showing up and listening and asking, you know, mm-hmm. what, 
can I do to help? What are you needing right now? What are you most stressed about? Can I babysit your kids? Do yeah. you train, right? Like those mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Or can I bring a meal over or can huh. I offer to babysit your kids for an afternoon so you can have some you time? Yeah. Exactly. I love that. So lots of people in, in our current society experience anxiety and maybe it might be social anxiety it, it could actually be you know performance anxiety over sex i mean it could be for a lot of reasons but how do we handle anxiety i mean what what is it that we have to do to feel grounded so that that's not as much of an issue yeah anxiety is a very common experience mm-hmm. it's not always clinical i mean anxiety is a normal feeling sure <laughs> so yeah. you have anxiety because you're going to you know, do something new for the first time, or you're going on a date, or you, you know, who knows, mm-hmm. all kinds of things. Um, even, you know, applying for a new job can be very anxiety producing. Sure. Anxiety usually has to do with some aspect of shame, right? Mm. I'm worried about how I'm going to be perceived. I'm worried I'm not going to show up the right way. I'm worried um, of what people are going to think about me. Um, I'm worried I'm not going to do the right job or say the right thing at the right time. And that's a lot of insecurity, you know, insecure. Mm-hmm. It can also show up in worry ways. Like I'm not sure I'm going to make enough money. I'm not sure I'm going to be able to reach my goals. I'm not sure I'm going to be able to graduate. So, you know, those, those kinds of things too. So I think that the first thing is to try to normalize it. Like this is, this is a human experience. I'm definitely not mm-hmm. the only person feeling this way coming up with some self-soothing techniques, right? So what are ways that I can help myself when I'm noticing anxiety? And I typically talk about two different directions. You can go the mindful approach, which is kind of like sitting with it and noticing it, kind of like a wave in the ocean and just breathing through it and, you know, kind of teaching your body that you can survive anxiety. Mm-hmm. Or ways to distract yourself, right? So call a friend or listen to a cool song that you enjoy or take a shower mm-hmm. or, you know, do something to distract yourself from that. Yeah. Anxiety. And then if it starts interfering in your life to the point where you're wondering if it's turning into a clinical disorder, then there's really powerful treatments through therapy and through pharmacology that you can, yeah. you can, you know, access to hopefully help yourself sure. treat those issues. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I'd love to talk about improving communication with others because I noticed, for example, when we get upset with someone, it's because somehow our expectations got violated somehow. Does that make sense? Yeah, for sure. Mm-hmm. Yep, we are offended or we're misunderstood mm-hmm. or, um, you know, yeah, something we're not agreed with. Right? Yeah. Why don't you agree with me already? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, for example, for for sure, actually, yeah. Uh, I want to ask you about the connection between faith and psychology because I think that's a really interesting intersection, right? Oh, it's it's for sure. Yes. What do you want to ask me about it? Uh, what, what where do you think the two meet? Well, I think um, you know, for for a very long time, religion and faith were a very important part of almost everybody's life, especially mm-hmm. in the United States. You know, we're, we're very much a Christian-founded nation. Mm-hmm. And the polls up to not that long ago um, showed that 70% of folks, you know, affiliated with the religious community and had faith and believed in God. Um, 
And of course that affects our psychology, right? Mm -hmm. Because what you believe about yourself, about the world, about the afterlife, about morals and values, all of that affects how you feel about yourself and your relationships and everything that has to do with psychology. Um, we have noticed a huge shift in that, however, really in the last decade, where now we're really um, at about 50, even lower than 50% of the country is identifying as religiously affiliated. That's a huge change in a very short amount of time. Yeah. And so um, while at the same time, people do still find a lot of value in spirituality, but not necessarily as much in organized religion and not so much in having religious leaders or clergy tell you how to run your life. We're, we're kind of in a more self-determined kind of value system at this point. So yeah. that has huge implications for psychology because now it's like, well, what is the meaning of life? And yeah. Why am I here on this world? And what is my world? What is my meaning of life about? And why is there suffering? And a lot of times those those questions were answered by religious entities. And and now people are grappling with a lot of these existential questions in ways that can cause some distress and can cause some ambiguity that they may not have been used to. And that can affect psychology, like depression and anxiety and worry. And how do I parent my kids? And what do I believe in? And What's the moral compass now in my life? Yeah. Oh, for sure. We've got less than two minutes to our break. When someone has no idea what they want to do in life, how do you help them figure it out? What is, well, one minute to the break. Uh, how do you help them begin to figure that out? Yeah, we really usually start in my practice with values work. A lot of times we do come from systems, whether it's our families or our religions that told us how we should think and what we should value. And now we're really trying to help people think, well, but what do you value? You know, what what do you think is important in life? What do you think is important? How do you want to spend your time? How do you want to spend your money? What would be exciting for you? What do you dream about? Um, and, and really helping them hone into their own set of internal authority values instead of having had this external source telling them how they should have lived their life. That's fantastic. We're coming up against our final break. I can't believe how quickly this is going. My very special guest this week is Natasha Helfer. We are talking about therapy and all kinds of issues that she gets to deal with in her practice. And when we come back, we'll talk about navigating through the fear of the unknown, maybe her favorite client story, confidentiality insured, of course, how what her ideal client is. And, and we'll talk about even more things when we come back. This is Success Profiles Radio. Please stay with us. Don't go away. We'll be right back down the stretch. We come when we return. Welcome back to Success Profiles Radio. So many people live their lives wanting more than they currently have. And this show will clearly demonstrate the principles. If I can do it, you can do it. So let's get back to the show. This is Success Profiles Radio. And here again is your host, Brian K. Wright. It's the Fitness Minute with fitness expert, Annette Hammond. With the newness of spring, it may be time to change up your workout. It's always a good idea to cross-train, but there are also times that you need to change the way you work out. If you've been doing the same thing in your exercise for a while, and your results have seemed to stall, it's time to change things up. Making little adjustments can add up to big gains. If you lift light or moderate weight, why not lift heavier weights with less repetitions? Shock your body and get the results you are after. If your daily walk is not giving you the outcome that you desire, try doing cardio intervals, 
walk for three minutes, then run for one minute. Repeat this sequence until you've completed at least 30 minutes. The calorie burn is much higher, and it's good for your body and mind to change up your workout. I'm Annette Hammond. Visit our website at AnnetteHammond.com. Have you ever thought about writing a book? Surveys show that 81% of people wish they could, but many never do. If you're one of those people, I can tell you why. You don't think you have time, you may not know how, or you might not believe you are a good enough writer. When you're working with an experienced coach, these reasons go away because I will help you every step of the way. If you want to know more about how to write a nonfiction book, whether it's business, self-help, or how-to, reach out to me at www.briankwright.com for more information. Once again, that's briankwright.com. and inspire others to discover their unique talents and follow their dreams in life. And we're back. This is Success Profiles Radio down the stretch we come. My very special guest is Natasha Helfer, and we are talking about therapy. And what I want to ask you next, Natasha, is how can we navigate through the food of the unknown? That's a big, big thing, because a lot of us don't like not knowing what's going to happen next. We hate not knowing what's going to happen next. <laughs> right. We are not, um, it's interesting because he, as human beings, we thrive with change, but we resist change, right? So that's definitely a yes and that's happening all the time with us. So um, yeah, but I think being growth centric, I think, again, trying to be intentional in our ideas, shifts and changes, that that would be you know, a, a good place to start and to and to practice like making mistakes and practice trying new things that you're probably not going to succeed at and practicing ambiguity. So that yeah. it is it is challenging. And yet it, I think it's a lot of what adds the spice to life. Yeah. That being said, if you were offered the opportunity to know when and how you died, would you want to know? Oh, that's a great question. And I don't think I would. I think that would freak me out so bad. Yeah. I'll say no to that. <laughs> I'll say no. Me too. <laughs> I would absolutely not want to know that yeah. because then I feel like I would almost be trying to orchestrate my life so that that situation doesn't come up. Yeah, right. Or that, but, yeah, the whole every day would now be, be, you know, thought through that lens, which I mean, a lot of people do face that, you know, with kind of like chronic illness and cancer diagnoses or things they may be given, you know, a general idea. And and I, I think that's very, very challenging. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. So with confidentiality intact, is there a favorite story about a client situation you'd like to share with us just to give us a flavor for what kind of work you're doing? Oh, wow. Yeah. So. Gosh, there's so many. I'll, I'll probably just talk about kind of a medley. I mean, my favorite clients are clients who are coming in probably in the midst or soon after, like uh, maybe a religious faith transition. And they're dealing mm -hmm. with all kinds of things. Like, for example, am I now in a mixed faith marriage, right? Where yeah. one left and one of us didn't? Or am I questioning my sexual orientation because I grew up in a culture where I wasn't really allowed to even consider whether I could be gay or lesbian or bisexual or transgender. And now I'm really questioning those things or I've known all along that that was a part of me, but I wasn't able to express it. Right. Yeah. Or maybe I have, 
because of this transition in life, now I'm giving myself permission to relook at my values and I'm considering maybe ethical non-monogamy or I'm considering using a sex toy for the first time or I'm, or I'm considering just talking to my partner about sex in ways that we have never talked about, right? So you can see how these shifts can be quite large and they can be what maybe some people would consider smaller, but for, for a person who hasn't had permission to explore Mm-hmm. These are very significant things. And and for people to enter into that space of courage and curiosity about themselves with with me, it is such an honor and privilege. It's it's just it's the best work. Yeah. There is a song, a Madonna song. I've never quoted Madonna on this show before. But <laughs> there was a song where the lyric was poor is the man whose pleasure dep- depends on the permission of another. Ooh, I like that. Yeah. And uh, I think what I really want to ask is you just have to give yourself permission to be who you are and not worry about what other people think. I think that's what that's really saying, right? Yeah, we started this whole show about entrepreneurism, right? And what makes it the difference between somebody who can maybe, you know, start thinking about being an entrepreneur versus taking the more stable, more risk-free way of entering somebody else's system. And I think with sexuality, that's very similar. You know, we have so many cultural norms, so many family rules, so many religious constructs around how and what sex is supposed to look like and feel like and who and how you're supposed to do it. And, and, And taking a more entrepreneurial spirit to it is more like, well, can I decide some of these things? What do I find pleasurable? What what livens me up? What turns me on? And not just sexually, but what turns me on in life? Because when you get tuned into what turns you on and what brings you pleasure um, in other areas of your life, like the food you eat and the sun on your face and the leisure that you enjoy in a, in a culture that has told us that a lot of times pleasure is hedonistic and mm-hmm. self and self-centered and lazy and a waste of time, when you can start challenging those paradigms at the very core and deconstructing and really tuning into the fact that your body, every nerve ending, is has the capacity to feel pleasure. Mm-hmm. Wow, like the world really opens up, right? And I think our sensuality and our sexuality is tied to so many other facets of our life, how we show up in parenting, how we show up in work, how we show up with our partners, with our friends, because when we're sensually connected to ourselves and our bodies and our pleasure, um, in, in, in our sexuality, that, that just translates everywhere. Yeah. And I think there's something to be said for telling the truth too, because some people play it off like they are more experienced, shall we say, than they really are. And then there's disappointment when your partner doesn't, doesn't feel like that's actually true. I bet that's a bit a different situation too. Yeah. That, I mean, that is dishonesty abounds in our sexual lives. Yeah. because our sexual egos are fragile. And that's not because we're all dumb and naive. It's because we have not been raised in a culture that normalizes or or helps you understand how Mm -hmm. to have comprehensive sexual education that leads to pleasure, consent, health, Mm -hmm. wellness, well-being. And and so, yes, we're kind of posited in this culture where we're supposed to be cool and steadily and sexy Mm -hmm. and know everything and And so, again, we come back to that anxiety and that shame that if I can't present in a way where it looks like I know everything, then 
something embarrassing or shameful about it, right? And yeah. and so even in our most private of relationships, like a long-term marriage, there are typically very deep-seated secrets. Like, can yeah. I really tell you what I fantasize about? Can I really tell you what I want? Can mm-hmm. I really tell you how I want to be touched? Um, these are all things that we oftentimes keep to ourselves because either we're petrified of telling somebody else what we really look like naked. Yeah. <laughs> emotionally, or we're petrified that we're going to hurt that other person because they're going to take offense to some of the things that we may find titillating. And, and that also is, I think, um, parallel to so many of the other things that we communicate about in our lives with other people. Yeah, for sure. Do you remember your first client? How'd that go? What did you learn? I do remember my first client. I was petrified. (laughs) Oh, I bet. I felt like an imposter. I was like, I can't believe I felt the same way I felt when they let me out of the hospital with my first baby. I'm like, I can't believe they're letting me get away with this. Yeah. (laughs) I can't believe that they think I can actually do this. Um, But it was it was very humbling and it was very honoring. And um, every time I supervise or train new therapists, I really try to normalize that for them. You know, that that's a very normal feeling uh, to, mm-hmm. to be in a space where somebody's trusting you with their story and their life and their pain. And, and somehow you're supposed to be part of the solution that can feel mm-hmm. very overwhelming. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We, we don't have a lot of time left, maybe three or four minutes. I'd love for you to talk about your community, your membership site and how people can be involved with you if they'd like to be. Yeah, absolutely. We have so many services that we offer. I, so there's one-on-one work that you can do with me if you want to work with me personally, um, and that's through either therapy or coaching. But one of the things that I love offering so that I can help more people at the same time are groups, and I have all kinds of groups um, that have to do especially with religious trauma, with reclaiming female sexuality, recovering from male sexual shame, especially for those who've gone through maybe this idea that they were addicted to sex, which isn't really scientifically based. And so there's a lot of healthier ways to kind of manage your sexuality than from an addictions um, standpoint. I have um, marriage groups, so many things like that. Mm-hmm. The other thing that I have is a membership and it's for people just going through basic faith transitions. And what? how do I tell my parents that I no longer believe this thing, right? Or how do yeah. I with my new value system or how do I deal with some of the feelings I'm dealing with as I'm confused or angry or feeling betrayed um, Mm -hmm. by the experience I had in my church. And so we meet monthly for the first Wednesday of every month for free. Mm -hmm. You can just join my free membership. And then if you want to meet weekly, then there's like a a premium membership, which is still very cost effective, much cheaper Mm -hmm. than going to therapy. Um, Help you, you know, really kind of connect with others and, and kind of get my thoughts and wisdom on whatever I can offer to help you in those situations. Great. And how can we find you? How can we try with you and vibe with you? NatashaHelfer.com is my website. Mm-hmm. And if you, you know, search me on all the social media platforms, I'm there too. Instagram and Facebook and TikTok and <laughs> Twitter. Great. Not Twitter Am anymore. I... It is. So... <laughs> Great. And my very last question, who inspires and motivates you? Oh my goodness. Um, you know what? Out of all the people, I'm going to say right now, Maya Angelou. Oh, wow. 
That's great. I love that. We are coming up to the end of the show. I wish I had time to let you elaborate a little bit more, but we are running out of time. And Natasha, thank you for being here. It was really fun having you here and talking about stuff that we don't normally talk about on this show. So thank you. What a lovely discussion. I loved it. Thank you so much. Awesome. And thanks to all of you for listening. This has been Success Profiles Radio. Please join us every Monday at 6 p.m. Eastern, where I interview another top flight achiever, learn what they did, what they overcame, and the lessons we can learn along the way. Until then... Take care, everyone. Goodbye. Have a great week. part of success profiles radio with your host brian k wright each week we'll explore different aspects of success and how to apply them to your life we'll have guests that will come from many different backgrounds including expertise in leadership business relationships careers networking health overcoming adversity and much more for more on brian and the show check out his website briankwright.com if you've ever wondered if there's more to life than you're currently living, then Success Profiles Radio is the program for you. Join us again next week for more Success Profiles Radio with your host, Brian K. Wright.